0: Good morning, today's is daf is daf. Mem gimel, Today shi is li'ilu nishmas. Moshe ben Yaakov nachum, Daniela bas ba'ila bas Yaakov Ruvain, Shulamit bas Yaakov Ruvain, and li'ora bas tzhi. May the Neshamas have an aliyah, may the memory be a blessing. Uh, li'ilu nishmas, all. Oh. And the Ilunishma mashivah basmoshe may their souls have an aliyah and may their memory be a blessing. Okay, so we were in the middle of a sugya. We were on the bottom, towards the bottom of Membeiz and Mubeiz, forty-three One and is it Membeiz or Mubeiz? Yeah, Membeiz and We're going to go from the ninth, eighth last line. But what the sugya was discussing is. Regarding well it was in Rabbi Shimon's opinion and we, we broke we, we came out at the end of yesterday's staff that there were three important points to be aware of. One is if someone remember if someone claims a class and the person who owes it admits he doesn't have to pay it because we have the principle moidebe poto. If you admit, if you admit to a class, if you admit to owing you're exempt. So theoretically if a father would accuse you rape my daughter, or the daughter says you rape me, you owe us fifty shkolin then, uh, and he says, yes, you're right, he'd actually be, admit. Uh, he'd actually be uh, free from paying it. When would he be obligated in paying it? If he... If he... Uh, um, if in fought him, he goes to in and they judge the case and say, yes, you have to pay the 50-ish based on 80 more, whatever you have to pay it, and then he would be liable. And we made a distinction that once in issue that verdict strictly speaking it's now changed from a class to mammon, because when based and issued a verdict regardless on what their verdict is based on it's now a debt that the defendant or the, the, the guilty party owes the other person so even though it was a class that triggered it etc since it was it's now a verdict it's basically like the' what's it, the the, the, the Claimant, the one who sued him in court, has a loan document outstanding that he owes him the money. So that's mamonos. We said interest half according to Rabbi Shimon, regarding if, however, someone takes a shvur that, uh, they take a shvur denying, um, we, we know someone takes a shvua denying money. Whether it's I deny that I stole your thing or I deny that you asked me to look after someone I say, oh, you didn't or I say stolen, stole them or I deny that you lent me money and I take a shpua then obviously obviously in the correct context I'm, I'm innocent. If subsequent to that I am uh, moide I admit, I feel guilty and I say look I took a false shpua then I have to pay keren b'chomesh the amount that I denied plus a fifth which actually remember whenever we say a fifth we calculate that as a fifth of the total, so it's actually 25%. So, Keren Bekhoi and Bringer Ashim Gezelos. Rabbi Shimon had an interesting opinion. He said, where it's a knast where it started off as a knas, even once a verdict has been issued, so now it's changed into Mammon, <coughs> since its that source was a knas, he's exempt from paying the knas. That was Rabbi Shimon. And then we had a third aspect, that. So therefore, if someone owes a knas, I basically have issued the verdict. They say, they say your ox killed his slave, you owe shloshim Shkolim. Now that's mamon, which means if a person subsequently dies, it goes to his sons. All money owed to the father, if he dies, the son's inherited. So that could be the case. We said, except by the case of oines Umu Fateh, which has a special Joshua Viki Chesh, which tells us that the... That it only, it's only considered the father's when sorry not son um, it's only considered the father's when it's actually given to him. Which means even if the verdict was issued, so the money the fifty scholim should go to the father. Now you'd expect if the father dies, what happens? It goes to the sons. No, not in this case. It goes to her because it's only considered the father's when it's given to him. Unlike other verdicts issued by a in. Now let's go back into the Gemara. Now, Acevei, they challenge this. Rabbi Shimon, Poyter, Rabbi Shimon says, you exempt from a Korban. This is from a Mishnah in Shvurs, which we quoted on the first Atmo. The reason is, he doesn't pay a based on... It. Oh, so we try, sorry, we're try, we trying to work out, according to Rabbi Shimon, is this discussion before they went to court? Now remember, before they went to court, we said there's a good reason why he gets off... If he takes this false, this, he took a false swor, and then he admits he hasn't taken the false swor. There's a good reason why he gets off, because uh, Mervin, you were in here yesterday. But if you think about it, it's quite brilliant. If you, if I deny owing you a knas, I'm not really denying any money, because if I would admit to owing the knas, I would get off. So if I say no, I don't owe you the knas, it's not any money. It's only only one's basement. So so the one the. One opinion, one should the must be before they've gone to court. And then we start have said, no, it's even once they've gone to court, Rabbi Shimon has that special Joshua that even though now they've been to court and the verdict has been issued, and technically it's mammon, says there's still this lingering aspect that at essence, ik- ikoron, ikoron, at its essence, it was a class. Therefore, you exempt. So, sorry, hmm? if you still 100 grand, X still is 100 grand, and he says, Yes, i still 100 grand. It's going to be the 100 grand. Definitely, back. yes. Right. If he says, I'm going to take a shwa that I can steal the 100 grand, yeah. and he doesn't have to pay the 100 grand back or the plus, so he well, the, yeah. if he takes the shwa, he's actually saving up on the 100 grand as well. Well, the 100 grand or whatever's extra, yeah. yeah but so what do so, you mean the 100 grand as well? So saving up the plus plus the amount he has to pay back. Yeah, but then if he, if he admits to his shvua, so we'll see over the page what it is, but theoretically if he admits to having taken a false shvua, he's going to have to pay Karen V'hoimesh, the capital effect, and bring Oshim Gizalith. What happens if it's both? We'll see, it will come up in this piece now, but what happens if it's both? This is the case of Al-Mishnah, where a man's accusing someone of raping his daughter. Then it's there's the, Oine, there's the knas or 50 shvuaim, Plus there's the Boy or Pagam, which is considered Mammonos. So what happens if it's both, that we'll see in this in this coming up piece. But technically if it's just mamon, then it's uh, he would pay Karen Mesh if you denied it. If it's a knas or at S es- a shimon, at essence a knas, then he won't have to pay. Okay, now he says, Ey, so changed Rabbi Shimon poiter. Rabbi Shimon says he's exempt from a class, class where he does not pay a class based on his own admission. That's what he says. So the Gemara makes a deal. Taimad Ahmad Bedin must be where he hasn't stood in, hasn't gone to court yet. Why? Because it says it's a case where he doesn't pay based on his own admission. But remember, that's all if you admit to a knas that's only before Beisliners have to say you pay. So it's, Nami Implying that, if he was already in court, when he would pay, even if he admitted it. I once, has issued the verdict that you have to pay the knas Then even if you admit in another Beisliners or somewhere else that yes, I owe the knas well, they've already made it into Mamonos, so you have to pay. But, so where it is, Karman Shfuh Nami he should also be high the Shua. So again, we see from that, price, according to Rabbi Shimon, it still seems that this, that we said, Mamonos, once the verdict has been issued, is even to make him pay. So Rabbi Shimon, the Gemara answers, Rabbi Shimon, the who no Rabbi Shimon is answering according to the Rabbonin, uh, he's saying, he, what does he say? He says, "Ladidi, according to me, Afal to Ahmad Bedin." Even though they've already had the court case, Rachmana Patre viki Chesh, the Torah says he's exempt from the korban because of the special drosh of Vuki Chesh. Ah, so again, that's this whole point. He's saying, even though the money, once the verdict has been changes to mamonos, Rabbi Shimon holds, since it at essence was a knas, he owes this money because he owed a knas. Because he was guilty to a knas penalty, he doesn't bring the korban. So that's what you that's according to me. But according to you, you should admit to me where they have not yet had the court case. That when he claims, when the guy comes to him and says, You raped my daughter, he's claiming a knas and so he shouldn't have to pay anything. So that's how you understand that line. Again, the tricky part was that Rabbi Shimon seemed to be saying that if they had not yet stood up in court, that's where you can claim. um, So if they had not yet stood up in court, that's where he will be exempt from the Knaas, implying that if he had stood up in court, sorry, the other way around, if he had been in court, the verdict had been issued, that's where... So, well, it's the other way around. But basically, his, he, he seemed to be saying that he, da, he would have to bring the Korban if he had been issued the verdict, which is contradicting how we've been explaining, Rabbi Shimon, up to you? So was, well, no, he wasn't speaking in his opinion. He was saying, according to you, the sages. According to you, the sages, if it's before they've stood up and did, then it's definitely a knas. And as we said, which means when I take a denying the knas. I'm not really denying Mammon. So the Gemara answers the Rabbonon Tzabri, Kikotava Boishesu Bekam Kikotava. and hold, they know. So sorry, so when he's claiming, he's claiming the knas. He, sorry, he's claiming Boishesu Bekam. So very interesting. Rabbi Shimon came along and said to them, "You should admit that when this guy is suing, so Ruvain's um, uh, suing Shimon, and Ruvain." Um, Rabbi Shimon says, well, he's suing him for a knas, therefore, if they have not yet stood up in din, he should be exempt from the when he takes the false shua. And the is saying, no, he's claiming Boisheh Supegah, and therefore he's chayev for taking a false shua. he's chayev to pay back and bring korban. So the Gemara answers, what point are they arguing? This will clarify. It says, papa, rabi, shimon inish midi kots, midi Someone's not going to leave something that is of set value and claim something that is not. I, when I sue, when the guy, when the guy sues this person in court for raping his daughter, in his mind, he says, let me sue him for the 50 shkali. Because that's a set amount. If I start suing him for boi that's a variable. How much embarrassment was there? Is it severe embarrassment? Is it large embarrassment? Is it uh, the pagam? You know, what's a decrease in value? You know, maybe I'm not going to get anything. Maybe it's going to be very small. Just let me just stay with what's clear and set, the 50 shkoleur. So what's he suing him for in court? The knas. So that's what Rabbi Shimon says. He's suing him for the knas. And that's why Rabbi Shimon says, if he sues him for the knas, and the guy takes a shvua, again, okay, before they go to Bezdin, before Beisling have issued verdict, he says, I take a shvua that... I don't owe you the money. And then it turns out, he admits, he says, you know, I took a false word. He's still exempt because it wasn't really money. Because if he would have admitted, he said, you owe the money, and the guy would have admitted admitted and said, yes, you're right, I do. The rapist would have said, yes, you're right, I do. He would be exempt. (laughs) So that's a Rebbe Shemulun. The Rabbanan, all no, someone's not going to leave something that if the... The defendant admits to, he will be exempt. Sorry, he would be he would not be exempt and claim something that if the defendant admitted to, he would be exempt. Oh, when this guy is going to court and he's suing him, he's suing this guy for raping his daughter, he's not concentrating on the class He doesn't want to sue him for the class Because if he says I sue you for the class and the guy says, Oh, you're right, I owe a class the guy's off. So what is he suing him for? He says, I'm suing you for the boy's of a gun. So that's the and Now, this ties back to um, the Mishnah and the whole Sugya. Um, strangely enough, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's almost two different court cases the way that Knas and Mammon work. Toskus <coughs> came along with the Hirush and said, Yeah, there's a Hekesh, and therefore we would tie them together. But we actually see it goes fundamentally to what's this guy's way of thinking when he's approaching this court case? He's, Should I sue for the Knas, which is definite? It's fixed, so I'm definitely getting a good chunk of money and it's clearer what we're debating, or should I rather sue for the boys of which even if he denies or sorry, even if he admits to if he admits to pay, then he definitely has to pay. Kind of no, you're sh- discussing the the ksuba, right? yeah. but the class for raping or seducing an now is fifty schwelling. He pays yeah. the father 50 shkollim, if it was a rape then he'll have to marry her etc, but it's not a hundred shkollim, it's 50. No, if, it. if a, if a man or So then the like, ksuba, but I know that doesn't fit in with this, yeah. that's not, not relevant to us. Yeah. You're right, if, they, if the rapist or the seducer married this girl yeah. that they raped, yeah. and then later on they want to get divorced. So what's the Suda? But that's a different discussion. I'm not going to... Okay, let's go on to the next piece. Rebi Avina Rebi Avina Bas Mina Achin. Mas This is all relevant to a point we mentioned, by the way, but I'm not going to bring it in now. Let's, let's go through the sukkah. So if a girl is supported by her brothers, who gets her earnings? I will know when a father's looking after his daughter... She actually, it seems to be quite, at least tied to Doraisa, she gets, a, um, the father has a right to what she earns. So he's like, look, I'm, I'm letting you stay at home and I'm giving you food. Or I'm getting your salary. That's the father. What happens if the father's died and the brothers are supporting her? Now, Rashi points out that's one of the conditions in the that my single daughters... Sorry, that, you know, that the last tsuba is basically that you will that the estate will take care of the daughters. That's a condition in the tsuba, so it's not Doraisa, but the estate, the estate of the deceased father has to take care of the daughters. So the Gemara explains: says, the makom do we say that this brothers? are in place of the father just as over there the, what she earns her salary goes to the father so to here what she earns should go to the brothers okay, because they are now fulfilling their father's role of the one who supports her or perhaps we say it's not comparable to the father there the father is supporting her with his money so he gets a salary. The sons aren't supporting her with their money. You're right, it's the money, the inheritance. But it's the, it's the father's estate. That's what they're supporting her with. So that's, uh, that's the question. Okay? Do the brothers get the, her earnings? She's being supported by the estate, which again belongs to the brothers. They're the ones who inherit the estate. But she's being supported by it. Do they get the, brother, the money because they're in place of her, in the father? Or do they not get her earnings? Because they not that's not, uh, not shy. So, he says, well, we learned it in a mission. He says, the, the widow, I, this guy's widow, is sustained from the assets of the son. And her, what she earns, the salary goes to, the, goes to them. They're supporting her with their estate, which they've inherited. Therefore, they get her earned. So, it should be the same thing with the daughter. She's supported by the estate, and she must pay her earnings to the brothers. He says, no, look, says Me, dummy. I'm not so He doesn't want his, he doesn't care about his wife making a good profit, a good amount of money. But his daughter, he does want to make a good amount of money. One of the reasons, he says, I'm happy for my wife to get, as long as she has a roof over her head and the food and the clothes she needs, I'm happy. My daughter, I'd like to get the extra money. Why? Because she has a better dowry then.'" So I want my daughter to not only get her, masonous, her a roof over her head and clothes and food that she needs from the estate but any extra money that she could get which would supplement her dowry that's also given to her part of her estate I'm more than happy for her to have so that so you can't learn from father to dowry you saying that the daughter is more important than his widow. Are ah, you saying he would rather his daughter made more money than, or yeah, got extra money than his widow? I'll show you not like that. He says, They made the compare compared to the daughter like the daughter is compared to the brother. What do we mean? When the estate has very little assets. What happens if, the, if he wasn't a wealthy guy? So when he died, if you, there's either a little bit of money for the Yerusha, or there's a little bit of money to support either the widow or the daughter. Says, just as if there's just daughters and, and brothers, so this man who died left daughters and sons, and there's only a little bit of assets, the daughters get from the estate and the brothers have to go beg, Or so too his widow versus daughter. If let's say he died and he left over a daughter and a widow, the widow gets the sustained by the estate, supported by the estate, and the daughters have to go beg. What do we see? That the widow is actually taken better care of. So in the previous piece we said the earnings of the daughter should go to the daughter because the father wants her to make a profit but now we say no when there's only enough for one of them the widow comes first so we see, so it's the opposite it's no. in regarding to the disgrace I of having to go and beg his wife his ex his his widow is more caring about he cares, you know, he cares about more and therefore he Wants to make sure she doesn't have to go beg. That's why she takes precedence over the daughter. Regarding making a profit, he doesn't care that his wife makes a profit. So therefore her earnings would go to the brothers, but his, um, the daughter's earnings would not go to the brothers. Because as we said, he wants the daughter to build up her wealth so that she has a better dowry, and she's a more prospective uh, shidduch. So that's how he explains it. Um, interestingly enough, the Rishonim go into... How do you have what's considered a little asset by the widow? The widow is supported indefinitely until she gets remarried or until she dies. So it's a, almost an infinite amount of money. There's never really going to be any estate in light of the, in light of the daughters. Now, the Ramban learns, which I'm, I'm not going to go and toss this I have a brilliant way of learning, but I want to go into the Ramban because I thought it brings in what's quite an interesting thing. He says, no, they calculate how much they expect the widow to earn. Which means now you have to bring in... I mean, I'm interested how they did it because they didn't have actuarial science and uh, mm. math. But you bring in the actuaries, you say, okay, what's the average lifespan of a, a woman? How old do you expect this woman to live to? Mm. Ah, they say, okay, she, based on uh, the stats and her health and, you know, like they do for life insurance, based on her thing, she's going to live another 20 years. And it says, how much money does she need? Okay, based on this and projected um, inflation. And they work out clearly how much they expect her to need. I thought that was quite an interesting answer because it's like bringing stats into play, which is a relatively modern uh, science. But I mean, or maybe it was just a more primitive form that would say, okay, everyone lives 70 years and, or something. But uh, it was just an interesting answer. How do you have minimum assets when it comes to a widow when she has infinite claim on the estate? As long as she lives, every month she gets paid a, a, star, uh, and a, a living expenses from the estate. Um, okay, but let's carry on. So now Masiv, they challenge Rav Shaysha. So So said, Shesha said that uh, her Maase, what she earns, goes to the brothers. The other opinion challenged that. But Ravshasha says that uh, what she earns goes to the brothers. He says just as what his widow earns. Because no, well, yeah, But the fact that they're supported by the estate And the estate belongs to the brothers What she earns goes to the brothers So Rabbi Yosef so you So if she has what she earns Or she finds a metzia Even if she has not yet collected it If the, if the father dies It goes to the brothers Now the Gemara makes a deal time the av Ho' This is all because she earned the money while the father was alive. And therefore, if he dies, it goes to the brothers. What happens if she earned the money after the father's death? Must be It goes to her. And my love, and it makes more sense to say that the novelty is where she's sustained by the estate. So he wants to make a deal from the Mishnah, from the bride the that we brought. Where was it? Uh, um, the Mishnah, yeah, the Mishnah that we brought earlier, that, that we had earlier, that it must be. He says, no, no, the case there that she gets to keep, what she earns is where she's not being supported by the estate. He oh, says, What well, I don't need you to come and teach me if she's not supported by the estate. I'll show you, it's so obvious, if she's not supported by the estate... Obviously, she can keep her earnings. Because what we're going to say is basically, if you say she has to pay her earnings to her brothers when she's not supported by the estate, or even to her father when she's not being supported by her father, what are you saying? The father can tell her, basically sell it to slave labor. I want you to go work, and whatever you earn goes to me. She's like, what about what what I eat and things? It's like, make another plan, get a second job. So, and we'll see that's impossible to say I mean besides for uh, morally it sounds very corrupt but he says why? he says a master can say to his slave you go and work and I'm not feeding you, I, you, you during the day whatever job you have it's goes to me and oh he says what am I going to eat for supper he says go get another job go uh, scrounge around in the dungeon the master and say, I don't care he says now why he says that hani be ebed knali, that's only with the Ebed imcho doesn't say he must live with you but by eved Ivri where it says and that the master has to look after his slave as well as he looks after himself it says Law, that wouldn't apply but that's by an Ebed Ivri the master is not allowed to say okay, but that's a Jewish slave so he's not allowed to say you go work and, and I'm taking all your earnings and make a plan for your own uh, sustenance. Not allowed to do that by him. Obviously, not allowed to do that by his daughter. So, even the father's not allowed to do that. So, obviously, the brother is gone to that. So, I don't need this pricer to come and tell me if she's not being supported by the estate, she gets to keep her earnings. What's the novelty? Then? Obviously, she gets to keep her earnings if she's not being supported by the estate. He says, No. Now, we're discussing the ha'adofa. What's that, the excess? I Let's say she needs, I don't know, 20,000 rand a month. And she's earning 30,000 rand a month. That's that offer. So what happens with her father? Very interesting. enough. If a father refuses to sustain his daughter, she gets her mizoinus, her sustenance, what she needs, either 20,000 rand a month, but the hadofa, the excess, the other 10,000 rand, more than what she needs to live month, goes to her father. The father has a strong claim. On, the, on his rights in his daughter remember he, for many alochists he kind of owns the store he can sell her etc so granted he's not supporting her so she, her salary goes to her messiness. any excess goes to her father this price is coming to say that is not true by the brothers if they're not supporting her they get nothing but it could still mean not even the excess of what she's earned. but it could still mean that if they are supporting her maybe then her salary does go to them so we, so, so we haven't really... We, we can't resolve it from here. So Omar Rava Rav says, wait. So how have we refuted Rav Yosef? Rav Yosef brought a proof from the Mishnah saying that... Uh, proving that if uh, the brothers... He wanted to say... Uh, well, the Mishnah says that if the father is alive when she earned the money, then it goes to the brothers. What she earned goes to her brothers, implying that if the father died when she earned the money, she gets to keep it. Now we just brought an obvious... Refutation of that as a proof by saying maybe it's discussing the excess. So the so Rabbah says, "Oh, my Rabbah, but come We think a great man like Rob Yosef, a huge Tamil like Rabbi Yosef, didn't think that it could be referring to the hadofa, and he still raises a challenge on Rav He would never, if he wasn't aware of these sort of ideas, he would never have the chutzpah to challenge Rav So therefore. Ella omarob says, what did Rav Yosef really mean? El Omar Yosef Rav El Omar Rob Rav Yosef Masin Gufa Kasha. What Rav Yosef was struggling with was the Mishnah itself. And that's where he's going to bring out Rav Yosef's challenge from. He says, Why the Mishnah says, Ma se what she earns and any lost object that she finds. A for Pisha So even if she hasn't yet collected them. I, now earnings, it makes sense. She's owed the money at the end of the month. She just hasn't gone on to the bus to collect the envelope of cash. But, Mitzia. Mitzia, man, go top What do you mean collecting a Mitzia? As soon as she finds it on the phone and clicks it up, she's got it. What do you mean she hasn't collected it? So, so, the mission is difficult. It says, her, anything she earned while the Father was alive, or found while the Father was alive, even if she hasn't collected it, doesn't fit in with Mitzia. So, he says, as follows, he says, no commitment. It must be, this is what the Mishnah is saying. It says, must be saying that, no. It must be comparing to a metzia. Just as a Mitziah, this item she finds when the father's alive, it goes to the father. When the father's not alive, it goes to her. If she found it after the father's died. So too, Marci Adele, the same thing. If the father's alive, it goes to the father what she earns. If the father's not alive, it goes to her. I'm not to the brother. That's Rav Yosef's challenge. I built in this careful way of reading the Mishnah. So very interesting. Just to clarify, what's the difference? Firstly, the the Gemara we're saying it's obvious that Mitzia goes to her, and not the brothers. Not as obvious that her earnings go to her and not her brothers. And why would we come out that they don't? So the the explanation for that is Masa Yodeho, this that the father has a right to her earnings, is actually, I don't know exactly to what level, but to a degree to oraisa. As the Torah gives father his rights in his daughter, the okay, case so exactly to his earnings or whatever, maybe there are questions on, but the father has rights in what his daughter owns and earns, and he can sell her as a slave, he can give her off to any man in kedushin, so he has rights in her. So the money that she earns, he has rights to. So that's why even if he's not supporting her, it makes sense that he has rights to the excess. However, the brothers would not have necessarily have that right, but maybe they, in place of the father, that's what she said regarding the matziah. What she finds. The father doesn't really have a right. The, the Rabbonin, this chazal instituted that anything a daughter finds, she must give to her father, because otherwise it's going to create bad will. The father's like, I'm paying for your house, I'm paying for your food, I'm paying for you to get through school, I'm making sure you're well looked after. And all of a sudden, you making all this extra money on the side with these lost objects that you find, It will create an animosity and stuff. So they instituted that anything a daughter finds must go to the father. But again, and, oh, and then also, what's the father going to say if he gets upset? He says, I'm not supporting you. A father doesn't have to support his daughter. So that's why, by Metzia, we want her to give her Metzia to her father because we want him to support her. It's got to be. It's got to work both ways. However, by The brothers from the estate, it's a condition in Matsuba. They have to support her. So, no no matter how much she's aggravating them by keeping, she she found this 100,000 Rand watch on the floor. They're like, We're barely making a living and we have to pay for your support. And now you find this 100,000 Rand watch on the floor. We don't want to. It's too bad. It's a monetary obligation. I have to sustain it. So again, by the father, we want him to support his daughters. Okay, gives you a lot of it. But by the sons, there's no thing. And that's why. So that would be the difference. And and then, once we know that by Mitzia, obviously she gets to keep the Mitzia. When the Mishnah comes along and lumps Mitzia and Masi and items that she finds with what she earns, it's telling us that just as what she finds she gets to keep, so too what she earns. Shpamina, that seems... Conclusive, and it's my name. This was said explicitly. A daughter who is sustained by the brothers, what she earns, she gets to keep. So she leases. So that's the. That seems to be the bottom line. So for Omar time. What would be the source? Then what would be the source that the achim don't have a right to her earnings? As we said, we brought a good spot at the top of the page that they're supporting her, they're filling their father's role, they should get her salary. Otherwise, why, it sounds a little bit unfair. Why can't they say, look, you're earning your own salary, support yourself, or support yourself from the estate, but give us your salary. Why, why not? The Torah says, regarding a slave, an Eved Kenani says, you will bequeath it to them, to your sons after you them the slaves are given over to your sons. Any rights that you had in a Canaan slave are bequeathed to your sons, but not your daughters. Any rights you had in your daughters are not given. This teaches that a person does not bequeath the rights he has in his daughters to his sons. And that, as we, we can give a whole list of that, as we've just seen what her earnings. As we've said, the father has a right to her earnings. The father has a right to choose who to marry her off to. The brothers don't. The rights he has in his daughters don't get to be. Why don't you say that that posut is specifically speaking about knasot injuries and injuries. Why? Because And so too that's what Rabbi Khanina said that the Pasek speaking about Knessus and Kavolis, I, these things that affected her that's what the Pasek says the brothers don't get her him. because this happened to her body she was beaten up or, or she was raped or something like that but where it's something like her salary or whatever... That doesn't really affect her body... Maybe that should go to her brothers... So the Gemara just deviates a little... Chavolos <laughs> is pain to her body... I even That would not even go to the father... So what do you mean it doesn't... It, the father has rights in it... But it doesn't go to the brothers... The Chavolos... <laughs> her, her suffering doesn't even go to the father... Says, no. We're talking about when she got injured in her face... I.e., she got, um, she, got um, she has gone down in value. When the father tries to sell her as a slave, he won't be able to because she's got a damaged face or something like that. I was wondering why doesn't he just say her hand got uh, injured and amputated because now also her value as a slave. Why does say say got injured in her face? Okay, but uh, I was wondering that. But either way, what this Gamora is saying that maybe that possible, that you learned out that the brothers don't get a right, in their sister's earnings, maybe that's not a good proof because it could just be that the brothers don't get rights in her personal suffering, i.e., injury or rape or something that she suffered. Okay, but the Gomorrah leaves it at that. It doesn't tell us either way. We had Rabba's proof and we haven't said either way. Now, Omar Zaira, Omar Ramasna, Omar Rav. But Zaira said in the name of Rav, Rav in the name of Rav, for Omila Sorry, let me read this carefully. Omar Rav Zaira, Omar Ramasna, Omar Rav. Rav Zaira says the name of Rav Master Omarav. V'omiron, some say it's actually Rebi Zaira, Masna, Master Omer Rav. What's the difference between Rav Zaira or Rebi Zaira? So, this is just an interesting But sort of history. Remember, we've, just, we've touched on this, that smuchin is the special smuchin that they had handed down from Moshe to Yeshua, et etc., all through the generations. And anyone who had smuchin got the title Rebi. However, you could, smuchin, that smuchin doesn't work in Coloss. So Rabbi Zaira traveled from Babel. He learned and he became a Talmud in Babel. He became Rav Zaira, And then he went to Eretz Yisrael and he got smicha there, proper smicha. So he became Rabbi Zaira. So the whole thing here is when, when Rabbi Zaira taught this teaching, was it before he got smicha or was it after he got smicha? Was he Rav Zaire in Babel or was he Rabbi Zaira in Eretz Yisrael? Just an interesting bit of... Uh, History and how it works. Smicha stopped around the time of the early Amoraim when uh, they were basically exiled to the, the Amoraim. That's the sages of the Gemara. I don't remember exactly what year, but it's approximately the, the Amoraim or approximately the uh, year 200 to 5 or 700. It's a bit of a debate, but let's say 2 to 500. Um, so it stopped a few generations into the Amorayim. The Smicha stopped and no one, but you'll see, so generally you'll see that the Tanayim, the sages mentioned in the Mishnah, are just about always Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Meir. The Amorayim, the sages that the Gemara is mentioning, it's Rav Yosef, Rav Zayra, um, uh, Rav Papa, etc. But the ones in Eretz Yisrael would be Rebbe, Rebbe Yochanan. Rabbi Zaira when he went to Eretz Israel, etc., because of when they had Simecha. Okay, but carrying on, um, so what did Rabbi Zaira or Rav Zaira teach us in the name of Rav? It says, A daughter who is sustained by the brothers... Her earnings still go to her. She doesn't have to. Just like Rav taught. Your slaves, your rights you have in the slaves, goes to your sons. But your rights you have in your daughter, do not go to your sons. And yep, the rights, This teaches us, tells us, that he doesn't bequeath the rights he has in his daughters to his sons. So that's Rav's teaching, just like Rav learned. There's Ah Maleh, Ba Amra. It wasn't Rav who said this, it was Shokud. Ah, oh, Shokud, Manu. Who's this Shokud? Shokud means the smart one or the d- diligent one. He says, No, Shmuel, it was Shmuel. Shmuel was Rav's uh, barpluksa. We always speak of Rav and Shmuel. They were the leaders of the Babylonian Jewry right at the beginning of the Amorim. And it says, Ah, oh, Rav, Amra. What do you mean? Shmuel said it. We know Rav said it. He so says, also Shmuel said it. So at first we thought he was saying that it wasn't. Rav said it was Shmuel. So how can you say that? We know Rabbi Zayra told us that Rav said it. So he says, no, you're right. what he means is, not only Rav said this, but Shmuel also said it. So this limud seems quite well supported that, again, a father does not bequeath his rights that he has in his daughters to his sons. And therefore, even, um, and even if she's sustained by the estate, she still gets to keep her earnings and anything she finds, etc. And the source for that is is posofinach v'histachal temoysam lifnei temacharechem. Okay, Omama bar Amaymar leRavashi, Maaba mamei said to Ravashi, Hachi Omre Nahardai. This is what they Nahardai said. He also said Rav Shai says, Ravashi Omre. He also said Said, Rav, the halacha is like Rav. Remember, the sukya started with Rav Shaysha. She said that if she's being a, is sustained by the estate, the money goes to the brothers. As we've seen all these other opinions argue. They said, the halacha is like Rav. That yes, if she's being a, a sustained by the estate, she gets to keep her earnings. It doesn't go to the brothers. Okay, next Mishnah. Hamari says, If a man does a rusin to his daughter, and then she gets divorced from a rusin, then he does another Arusin for his daughter, the Armala, and she becomes a widow from her second husband. So, Boso he gets the Ksuba. Again, remember, the rats in his young daughter are his to marry. So, he will also, just as he gets the kitushin, he gets the Ksuba. Hesia the girsho if she did the second stage of marriage, Nisui, and then got divorced. And then so he married her to a second husband. And she got widowed. She gets the ksubah. The first ksuba goes to the father. Right, we're going to see in the Gemara about what Rabbi Yehuda is arguing on. He says as soon as they, we're going to see. But as soon as the ksuba becomes an obligation. Then it would be the father. So if the father is the one who is marrying off his minor daughter. Then, as soon as the tzubah kicks in, as soon as it doesn't listen, it kind of goes to the father. Whereas the chachomim hold, no, nisuy breaks her jurisdiction of her father, and the tzubah only kicks in in the case of death or divorce. So she's already left her father's jurisdiction. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda Ha'Al, the guy, it kicks in from the moment it becomes an obligation, and then it says Omrulai, They said to "Mishah But no, once he gets married, she has no rishis over it. Okay. Now the Gemara is just going to make a deal on the first point, which we said: if he married her and she got divorced, and then the father married her, got her married a second time, and she got widowed, she says siya siya this, it's This is specific when it says first. Um, got divorced and then widowed. But if she was widowed twice, no one should marry her. Again, if she, the father married her off to a man, and the man dies, and so now she's a widow, and then the father marries off to a second man, and the man dies and she becomes a widow, that no one would be allowed to marry her. Why? Because, of the, remember, the laws of Katlanis. A woman whose husbands die and yeah, let's just see a little bit further. And by the way, our Mishnah is teaching us that we go like Rebbe, the Amr betrays him, the Chazak, and the Chazak is formed after two times. This is the Rebbe and Ramagamia we had in Yobamas. Do we say that it's only if three husbands died, then she has a status of being a Katlones, a woman whose husbands die and no one should marry her? Or is it after two So, our Mishnah wants to teach us, by the way, that we go like Rebbe, and that's why it's specific when it says if she got divorced and then widowed. It could have easily said if she got divorced and then divorced, or if she got widowed and then widowed a second time, but no, it's to teach divorce and the widowed to tell us that if it would be widowed and widowed no one would be allowed to marry her like Rebbe who hold the chazok set after two times okay Rabbi um, Rebbe Huda says Hari shalav. he said that the first Ksuba goes to the father my time is Rebbe Huda what's the source for Rebbe Huda so Rabbi Rabbi Huda said to Amrit both Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef said mi shas since the father merits the Ksuba from a I as soon as they do a Ksuba that's when the Ksuba becomes effective. I that the husband owes the wife Liksuba. Mossiv Rava. Ravar challenges. He says Rabbihura, I mean shala avu moi revhura but Mahari says Bito Kashihikatana, U Vakra. Rabbi Hura agrees that if he marries his daughter off with a Rusin when she's a mana, and then she grows up. and then they do That the father has no rights in it. As soon as she does a Rusin, the father gets it. Okay? As soon as you say the father earns the rights to the Ksuba from a Rusin, i.e., as soon as the father marries off as a Katana, he gets rights to the Ksuba. What difference does it make whether she gets married, whether she gets uh, grows up? The father already is the one who had the right to collect the tsubah. So that can't be pshat. So Ela I itmar itmar. This is what Rabbi Yosef must have been saying. Rab Rabbi to Niktavin since they written in his Rashus, i.e., we go after when the tsub is written. So very interesting how this opinion is learning is that the obligation of the tsubah kicks in from a Rasim. But the ksuba is only written just before nisuyin. So if you have a girl who does a rusin, and then she grows up, she becomes a Bulgarian adult, and then she does nisuyin, the ksuba is only written right before nisuyin when she's already an adult. So that's when the rights to collect the ksuba kick in. Even though the ksuba is payable from a rusin, the rights to collect the ksuba are from... um, the time of Ereusen. So the Gomorrah asks an interesting question. I think we'll leave the question for tomorrow.